Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Latina Libertarian with your host, Olga Maria. Joining me today is a good friend, an old friend on Facebook and the Twitterverse. It's uh, the Cajun Libertarian, Noel Olinde. Thank you for joining me. We caught you. We caught you there doing what you're not supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, hitting up the uh, nicotine right before we get started. <laughs> no, thank you for having me for sure. Um, and, and just for clarification, and, and everybody always has trouble with the name, as I'm sure yours is troublesome as well. Um, I have a very French name. You have a very Spanish name, but it's Noel Olin. But actually, oh, okay. I am Cajun and spanish okay cool so that's where the dark skin comes from that's where all the so it so it is noel because i always want to say like noel or joel and then people yeah. are like no it's no you know so okay so noel olind beautiful yep, yep. name thank you okay, very much awesome awesome so um all right so i want to hear a little bit about your background like how did you find your way to libertarianism like did you oh and i and the reason i asked this is because in the south like growing up in the south my stereotype is that it's very conservative very republican um so i'm curious like do you get pushback for that or and like what was that like for you yeah yeah you, you're 100 accurate right because uh being in the deep south i'm from baton rouge louisiana but i live near jackson mississippi both areas are deep red out it, it unless you're talking about the cities, right, of Baton Rouge or Jackson. Both of those are deep blue, but within deep red cultures, right? And so um, I didn't really get into politics until about 2015, and that was when ACA really hurt us. ACA, for those of you that don't know, is Affordable Health Care Act. It's Obamacare, for people that don't know. Mm. And it was supposed to help people like us my my wife was making minimum wage we had a newborn i had a truck that didn't even go in reverse that's how we were driving everybody to work and to school and whatnot and i was making ten dollars an hour and then obamacare kicked in for us personally it kicked in on a variety of levels for a myriad of different demographics right but for us personally that's when it kicked in it was at the end of 2015 right around the end of the summer of 2015. And then they gashed us at mm. the beginning of 2016. They crushed us. And I was apolitical for a long time. I voted for George W. Bush when I was 18 because, you know, who didn't? 9-11, yeah, we got to go get the freaking terrorists, blah, blah. Immediately regretted it. Abandoned all politics whatsoever. And then got back into it when they started getting or, or, or let me rephrase that uh, they started to infiltrate our personal household and our personal income and that was a real problem for me because i had not experienced that to a degree in which that was pushed until obamacare and mm -hmm. so then i started to say look you can't do this let me pay attention because you're not only taking my taxes the first two years, the third year of ACA, when we're making bare minimum money with very, very young children. Now, all of a sudden, you're making me pay. I had to pay almost $800 to the government the third mm -hmm. year, which would be the year that um, 
Donald Trump took office. And then obviously he didn't do anything about it. Uh, the only thing that was actually appropriate for that response was the fact that he ended the, or he, he, I put that in squ- uh, scare quotes for those listening later, was that we didn't have the mandate anymore. So thank God for that, I guess. But mm-hmm. a lot more should have been done. And so then I, I, I kind of try to discover what our options were. And that was the year of the Hillary Donald campaign. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing either one of these people. Mm-hmm. And so then I began to landscape kind of all of the options. And I found the Libertarian Party to be the most optimal in my beliefs. But I still wasn't completely engaged. And then when the COVID tyranny hit in 2020, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. At that point, I'm like, yep, nope, I'm done. I have to get engaged. I cannot sit by because I, even though I was apolitical, I could not sit by and watch people absolutely ignore the historicalness of what has happened mm-hmm. over the centuries. And I'll give you a great quote. James Madison, the fourth president of these United States. Crisis is the rally cry of the tyrant. And I stand by that. So every time you hear the word crisis from a federal government taxpayer, you pay them person. They use the word crisis. Those red flags should be raised immediately. And that's what happened for me in COVID uh, of 2020. I, without getting into the specificities of my um, medical background, which is extensive. Mm -hmm. I knew from the jump, they were lying. They were intentionally lying and they were doing it for control and for uh, control opposition specifically. Meaning if you didn't agree with the narrative, then you were an outlier and you should not be able to, to participate in society. And so that's like the very condensed short version of how we are here. We are today, which is a wild ride to be honest. It is. And um, I think that your, your platform has like exploded as a result. I know that I've always um, really appreciated and connected with your content because it's just, it was, it was really cool to see someone from a different region of the yeah. country that I really don't know a lot about and I don't have people there. So it was really kind of interesting to be like, wow, it's great to know like, okay, you're my family, Noel, in the South, in the deep South. So I know that like how this is, how COVID fascism is affecting you. You know, like I am like, like, so that was so cool to kind of have that connection through social media, um, you know, with people around the country. Um, But I think your voice, is really unique because of where you are. And also, you know, I think we have so many stereotypes about the South period. So it's yeah. like, yeah, no, there's people who are not on board with, you know, the, the, the right wing authoritarianism either. Um, and, you know, it's, it's quick for people to be like, yeah, well, you know, playing into this game of the duopoly game. And I think it's exactly why we are in the situation that we're in. And I just look at it like there, there, there's a, a beautiful poem by Jose Marti um, describing um, 
he's describing the islands of Puerto Rico and Cuba as like two wings of the same bird. It's a beautiful <laughs> poem, but I kind of look at, you know, like a, a lot of things in that way. Like, and so clearly like the duopoly, like the, the major political parties, they're two wings of the same bird. And uh, yes. that bird shits all over you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all over us 100% of the time, while also trying to gaslight every American public person that's actually just literally trying to live their life and provide the best life for their children while they just not only dump all over you, but they literally, in every sense of the word of literal, will gaslight you into thinking that they want the best for you so that you can get their votes while they then go into Washington, D.C. and get exponential amounts of money via insider uh, stock trading when they know for a fact when certain wars are coming or certain military establishments are about to be uh, sustained and with or withheld and sustained on the back of your taxpayer money and on the back of dead people. Yeah. Period. And so they will continuously lie to your face 1,000% while trying to gaslight you into voting for them. There's a few exceptions in Congress. I'll grant that, right? Like, I'm a fan of Thomas Massey, and Same. I'm a semi-fan of Rand Paul. Same. But, yeah, that's about where it lies. Yeah. Tulsi Gabbard, I'm a fan, a Democrat, but she's not in Congress. Mm -hmm. So there's, like, that outlier. So what we really need to look at is why are they so adamantly relentless on absolutely disrupting us from the truth, 100% blind and, and just gaslighting us to the point? Well, the obvious reason is that they're collecting money from these major military industrial complex agencies like Raytheon, um, uh, you can get the list goes on and on. Right. How Burton is a small yeah, yeah, yeah. start. Yeah. There's tons of them. And so to the point of the show, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because you're really good on this issue is I think they weaponize identity, right? They weaponize culture. Yep. Um, I mean, and I think it's, it's honest to say that the last three years, there's been this acceleration of identity politics in a sense that, you know, that's been creeping up for a while. Um, but I think it's been kind of repackaged and brand and rebranded in a certain way. Um, so that everything is, you know, a dividing line where you have to pick yeah. one side or the other. Um, and I think that's where like this, this culture war is. Um, and it's frustrating because it's hard to talk about it. Like I was saying before we got on the show, like this right. is not even something I want to focus on um, because I'd rather focus on building liberty. I'd rather focus on like, what do we have in common? But you confront it constantly where there's just certain things that, are, you know, the, 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 um, the group think, you know, like the, 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 high the, mind. the thought police, you know, the speech police, um, so it gets to a point it's like, okay, well, we actually have to address this because it, it's affecting everything and it's affecting children. And now it's, to me, it's targeting children. Yeah, it's 100% targeting children. And you can go back and this is a problem I have. Let me preface this one statement with this. 
you can go back and you can look at how many dictatorial regimes have utilized the ability to affect the youth in their in the state of their mind in which they were susceptible to outright manipulation and propaganda based on what their feelings are, right? This is why I don't like the absolute and outright comparison to 1930s Germany. Is there relevance to that? Absolutely, 100%. But you're actually going to get more relevance if you research and study Mao's cultural revolution. And I harp about this a bunch because it's important because what we're talking about right now is actually a cultural revolution. It's not an actual litigation or legality revolution. It's not. Because if you can, and this again goes back to 1930s Germany with Adolf Hitler and many other dictatorial regimes. If you look back in the centuries of what happens to countries that adopt these absolute tyrannical just top-down control. What you will find is they will go after the youths, the youth, and then they will separate them from the elderly, and they will do that with propaganda, just like you were just talking about. When we, as a people, will just blindly accept the propaganda that comes from a regime in which, as we know for a fact now in America... The government will control, and this is proven via the Twitter files. Uh, mm-hmm. The FBI has been involved with Facebook, and social media is the massive out. And look, I'm grateful for it because we're here right now spreading this message of information and red-pilling people, red-pilling mm-hmm. in the sense of giving them information that they need to hear to wake up to the propaganda. That being said, we can look and check throughout history and see for a fact that every totalitarian government or dictatorial government, and it's really kind of two, you know, six, six eggs in one hand, half a dozen in the other, right? Mm-hmm. Totalitarian, dictatorial, take your pick. doesn't really matter. But these regimes have always used this massive propaganda machine in whichever format and vehicle that they can succeed in to push down onto society, specifically the youth. To influence them to change entire generations of countries. Now, as much as I despise Ronald Reagan for a myriad of reasons, but I'll mention two, no-fault divorce, uh, weapons, bans. He was good in this fact in fighting back on the communists, and he said one great quote. It only takes one generation to ruin freedom. Now, as much as I don't like the dude, that quote is real and you can look back to previous conversations and interviews with certain people especially one specifically from a russian operative from the cold war which he said if you you go listen to that interview you can find it and he outlays exactly how they can come in and use the culture to eradicate any idea of what American liberalism with a small L now. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're not talking about Democrat or, or libertarian or Republican. We're talking about liberalism in the actual philosophical sense, meaning that basically at its core, don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. 
and you will see exactly how they were be able they were being able to infiltrate the entire system and then use what a socialist from the Soviet Union called the long road through the institutions. Every one of y'all should absolutely go look that up and read it. Even if you just read the short paragraph from Wikipedia, you will get a great example of what that means. And this is why I get so, I know I'm rambling here. I'm sorry. No, I love let, it. Let me, let me get this one thing done. If you go and look through the long march through the institutions, you will absolutely 100% understand and you will find without a doubt that the culture is everything. Mm. So every one of y'all, when I say y'all, I mean that loosely. I'm talking to the people that are dissidents to the culture war. When you are upset about the culture war and you're saying we should not fight the culture war, you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong because politics is downstream of culture. So when we implement certain ideas, ideologies, philosoph uh, philosophies, and, and these teachings that come from institutions into the market of ideas, that is culture. And when you lose that battle, you lose your nation. And I think it's becoming like it's crystal clear. It's in your face right now. And I think, you know. It's weird to me sometimes the places where we have um, these, I don't say arguments, but like where these debates, like, you know, a big one right now is the drag queen story hour. Um, I don't understand um, how this started. Um, right. Drag queen and that to me, I grew up in New York City. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s so when i was growing up that was just like that was cabaret that was an adult thing it was fun it was it's a, it's an art form and it stems from you know kind of this subversive culture um that's always probably been around for a long time it's grown-up stuff yeah this was never anything i mean and when i grew up i grew up you know, like I had a job in the East, not in the East Village, in the West Village when I first uh, started college. And um, I worked in like a, it was like a drugstore that sold all types of stuff. And most of the people that walked in were from the LGBT community. And a, quite a handful of them were drag queens. And they weren't coming in dressed as drag queens because they weren't working. Um, and they would buy like all their makeup and stuff like that. And um, they didn't want to be around kids. Like this was like, this was cabaret. So I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact how this, how did the drag queen art form get co-opted by an ideological push? Because to, they allowed it. I guess because my, my, I'm trying to make, well, what's the connection between that and transgenderism? There's two separate things. Completely segregated. Right? Yep. I mean, I could see that there's folks who may be. Nope. Oh, no. And um, they use it to say that this is a way of introducing children like to not be bigots. I mean, I didn't see bigotry from kids as an issue. <laughs> right, right. To begin with, it's usually grownups that have issues with this. Um but, you know, there's 
more and more incidences that are being exposed of, you know, um, one individuals who are participating in drag queen story hour who have records of hurt of hurting children who shouldn't be around children. Um, and now it's morphed into the situation where they're not simply like having this time where they're reading in the library. Now there are, um, performances that are done by children in drag for adults and it's just kind of like it keeps yep. moving and moving and you know so there's you know debates even within the libertarian community of like well you know this is something that like if parents are okay with their kids and i'm just kind of like well let's can we step back a minute and like ask the question of why why is this all why are we here like why is why 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 is this even happening? There's this this, easy... this wasn't five years ago. This was not a thing. Correct. This is really new. Ten Correct. years ago, this no one would have ever conceived of this. So we're dealing with something that's really accelerated in the last few years, like that we're still kind of in this corona fascism stuff, and all of a sudden it's like this has to be accepted at face value. So, yeah, I can easily explain that or, or I'll say it's easily for me to understand, explain it and dissect it. Right. And so, um, again, I encourage all of you to go and research Mao's cultural revolution. It was the greatest communist revolution and most successful revolution in the history of any communist nation or any revolution whatsoever. If you don't count if not discount. No, I was right. If you don't count the American freedom revolution given to us by our founding fathers, right? Go 55 to 60 million Chinese people dead. And you might have talked about this before. You might be like, Hey, Noel, that doesn't sound like success, right? But for a communist regime, for a revolution, for a cultural colored flag revolution, that's it. That's wild success. Go research that. Now, here's what I want to segregate, and let me make this perfectly clear at first. I am in total support, and everyone should be, under the American Constitution and the American way and idea of liberty and what we view this country and how we're supposed to operate as to be. Drag queens, homosexuals, transgenders should all be treated 1,000% equally under the law as everyone else. Now, why do I highlight that specific group and others? Put aside race. That's ridiculous. Every, race is an irrational thought. We're all just different shades of tan. I'm picking out people that may or may not choose their certain lifestyles. So why has that become a big deal? And why is it? Here, here's the big thing that I want to just make sure I highlight is that under no circumstances should we not fight for their rights, for equal application of the justice system and the law for them, because that's the way our Constitution is. And I'm a Christian. I'm a devout follower of Jesus. I'm a worship pastor. But if I'm going to abide by the Bible for those Christians listening Romans 13.1 says, the supreme law of the land, you must obey the governing authority. Well, in America, the governing authority is the Constitution. There you go. I must apply the law and the justice system equally 
Okay, so just to make that part clear. However, what has happened has been a perversion of that idea. It has now shifted. And I again, the reason I highlight that is because a lot of people would love to conflate that we probably may or may not have shouldn't have allowed this the whole time. I completely disagree with that. But some people do because it is the slippery slope. The slippery slope is not a fallacy. Under no circumstances is the quote-unquote slippery slope logic a fallacy. It's not. It will happen. That doesn't mean that we as a culture should not apprehend and embrace the idea that you live that lifestyle. I absolutely fight for you to have that lifestyle under the government. You should not be treated any differently than anyone else. However, that is not a morally or societal acceptable lifestyle. And that has been the case for a long time until recently now what's happened and again <laughs> mal 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 go look at that and you will find out and you will understand very quickly that they will use that slippery slope that could have been ended with this is the norm that is abnormal there's nothing wrong with the abnormal in a governmental sense, even if we disagree with it morality and spiritually, but it cannot be just adopted as a whole, as normal into society. Because when, once we cross that threshold, which we have, mm -hmm. or which they're trying to do, and we have in certain degrees all over the place, right? When it comes to uh, sec the sexual revolution, which is one of the most uh, regressive revolutions the world has ever seen. Just, just think for a second. Like you're basing your entire identity on where you want to put your junk. Because at the, at the end of the story, that's what we're talking about. You're basing your entire existence on what you want to do with your body. And that, that's Neanderthal. That's regressive. It's not progressive. That being said, once you take that into account, then you understand where the culture is trying to move itself towards via pushing the Overton window far and far and far and far and far further to the left. Then you understand you get a grasp as to why this is happening. And at the end of the day, if you're going to ask a Christian uh, why, it's because you know, uh, uh, sexuality, the flesh, right, is the driving factor behind demonic oppression. So when you, instead of uh, outsourcing your power and your honor and your magnitude of focus onto a higher being other than yourself, you do it internally, then you're, you're just, you're just narcissistic. That's all that right. is. And so yeah, you. you can disagree with me on the the um, and I, I mean, you loosely, right? I'm talking mm -hmm. to anybody else. You can disagree with that. But the fact of the matter is, is that as soon as you remove the focus from an external object, be it Buddhism, Christianity, Catholicism, uh, Judaism, whatever, and then you 
turn that inwards, then that that that's that's the textbook definition of narcissism. And then you get what you get, which is what our society is. And make no mistake, the government would love nothing more than for the vast majority of the people of this country, the first and only living example of self-governance to turn narcissism into its priority because then you lose that because then people are going to advocate for the government to take control long rant i'm sorry but that that, that's exactly i mean no i love it i love your rant um yeah and um i was reading something recently i feel bad because i don't remember the name of the person um it's someone that i follow on twitter who is chinese american it's not lily tong who is in New Hampshire, is also Chinese-American. And she talks a lot about this. Um, this is another individual. Um, but they I was reading this morning something they said, and um, they were said, um, it's very interesting if you look at understanding what we call, um, you know, the, 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 the component of the Maoist revolution, the cultural Marxism part of it. Yeah. And then um, because it was like an attack on anything Western, um, and then you unleash the power um, and emotionality and, and, and narcissism that is, I don't want to say natural, but that is a part of the development of very young people. You know, we yes. when you're very young, like you go through these phases, right? And it's developmentally appropriate, I guess, where you're really focusing on yourself, where you really see things from a very specific perspective because you haven't developed yet the maturity, the, the, maturity to understand, to develop compassion quite yet. I mean, you have it, um, some more than others, but it takes that time of development. Um, and it's such an easy group to manipulate because of that, because of lack of experience, um, because of other things that are part of those formative years, which is, you know, the desire to look to authoritative authority figures who are not, you know, your parents, um, yep. Right. That's why, like some kids, you know, as you're growing up, like you you get um, not obsessive, but like you 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 get really into certain things like, you know, there's other people um, that are very charismatic, whether it's um, an artist, whether it's a musician. Um, and, you know, now because politics has become entertainment, there's a lot of young people who have <laughs> this with politicians. Right. I mean, like AOC, Bernie Sanders. um, and, you know, you know, Trump is, you know, like for for those on the right. So um, that all of that is weaponized. And I think, you know, I was a Marxist and I didn't really even um, the Chinese revolution really isn't talked about. No, it's not. Um, and um, I I eventually, you know, like grew out of that. And I became a classical Chinese physician. I, I'm an acupuncturist and an herbalist. And wow. it was interesting in going to school and, you know, having professors who are from China and like who grew up in that. And even they were saying like a lot of the medicine that we learn here, like it's still very limited, very, you know, kind of the way they want to present certain things to the West um, because of the cultural revolution, like certain things were lost or certain things like were shifted, but we really don't understand. And I think thankfully um, because of folks, you know, like you and other folks who are kind of looking into it and because of Chinese Americans who kind of 
had that experience and are seeing things in this country and are speaking out about it and are saying, look, this is our experience. Like this is exactly what we were taught when we were in school. This is exactly the type of trajectory, you know, that our parents were talking about. Um, it's important to understand that. And honestly, like the people that are in power, they don't care about the LGBT community. No. They don't care <laughs> about anybody. None. Like they're not doing any of this because None. they feel um, any specialness towards you. You are being just as used as black people are, as, you know, Latin American, Central American people, Mexicans who are crossing, like all of these people are being used. Like they yep. are happy to use you for a sound bite, for a video clip to wield us in our emotionality with this culture war, because it's really about keeping us divided and not talking, which is why I love what you do. And, you know, I'm trying to do this as well, because I feel like we just need to keep having conversations. Yeah, you're, you're 100 percent right. All of that is absolutely fantastic, because. They don't give one crap yeah. about any racial minority or majority whatsoever. The entire goal is power. And if they can manipulate you, I mean, I say you loosely because I think um, I'm, I'm half Spanish. I'm half Cajun and half Spanish with a, a bunch of Cajun comes with the French, but you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, the, the French and the Cajun are, are mixed into each other, but I am very brown skin. I've been threatened to be killed if I didn't speak English, like quite literally that, that really happened. And so, mm. and I see what's happening. My anecdotal experience, and I can guarantee almost, I would bet money that your anecdotal experience and others of people of quote unquote color, mm -hmm. which I hate by the way. I, I I I just I throw it in the trash completely. You don't like being called a BIPOC? No, I don't. I just <laughs> sounds want like to an be alien a human. Right. That's it. Yeah. I don't it, it should not matter what I look like mm -hmm. whatsoever. I did not choose the skin or this beard or, or the, the black hair that covers my entire body because of ancestral infiltration into certain demographics of certain you know, countries. I didn't choose that. I just am me and right. I'm an American and I'm an American that searches for Liberty and I'm a very dark skinned American. I, I, it blows, it blows my mind that people fall for it, but at the yeah. same time it doesn't right? Because people are so malleable. Going back to what you were saying earlier about when we're talking about children, they're extremely malleable, which means that they can be molded via certain just basic conversations that would make them feel good or that's bad. What malleable means. Yeah. But that's propaganda. Yeah. Instead of telling them the truth, you're telling them something of some sort of subjective idea that you are wanting to mold them around mm -hmm. instead of giving them the truth or your even anecdotal truth and then letting them experience it. Right. And they can figure it out on their own. That's what malleable is. It's the same thing with my children. We take them to church. I'm a worship pastor. 
I take them to church. They go to church. We read the Bible every night. We pray every night. But I don't intentionally try to use surgical instruments of, uh, you know, cognizance or, or mentality or however you want to phrase it. I don't absolutely 1,000% manipulate them. That would be the better word. Into mm -hmm. thinking what I think. I present them these ideas and then say, it's up to you to make your decision. Mm -hmm. And this is where we are absolutely falling apart. It's not because the head of the government or media two in the same thing are, at, are, are doing these things. It's that the people are falling for them because mm -hmm. they're doing the same thing I'm doing. They're giving you information. They're, or, well, they're not doing exactly the same thing I'm doing, right? Because I'm just giving you truth. I'm giving you my perspective on it and letting you make the decision. What they're doing is they're manipulating and twisting it in hopes that you will be so deceived because you're so freaking stupid to believe and analyze the actual factual data and truth that instead you will just believe whatever they say and not do any research on your own. That would be the magnificent, magnificent difference between me or you and shows like these instead of the corporate media, which is dying. And I'm so here for it. I know. I'm so here for it. But it's just so remarkable to watch in real time how many people are falling for this nonsense instead nonstop. of saying, yeah, nonstop. Like, look, the Tim Pool episode. It went viral freaking many times over. Not just the abortion clip, but the after show or whatever they call it on Temple. Uh, with, with him, he's like, it, Tim asked the dude, I think his name is Lance from the surfs. He says, if you suck a trans person's penis, are you gay? And dude's like, no, because you're sucking a woman's penis. I hope this is acceptable, by the way. It's okay. Well, we're it's here. Just... It's fine. Well, that was part of the the the, the idea. It's like, again, this is, this is new. This is not like, oh, people were talking about this for 20 years. It's like, in the last couple of years, we're supposed to accept and ignore um, everything we've ever known as if this has always been the way that people yeah. have talked about these things. So, you know, I was born in the 70s. I'm a post-civil civil rights baby. And so when we were coming of age in the 80s and 90s, it was about UNITY. It was about unity. It was about healing the races. It yeah. was about um, empowerment, you know, kind of girl power. Um and, and I noticed in that time there, and I think it's kind of all tied in with all this culture war stuff. Um, I was an activist. I was a student activist and a community organizer. And I, and, and I noticed that um, there's this segment that wanted to demonize men. And mm. I like, wasn't with that. And as a woman of color, I mean, I'm Puerto Rican, so I was predominantly doing things. And I'm going to give you an example. So um, I forget what year it was. Maybe it was like 1997 or 98, the Puerto Rican Day Parade in Puerto Rico, in um, New York City. It's the hugest, or it was, I don't know if it still is, but it was the hugest parade. Um, and it's just, you know, kind of a great parade. It's on Fifth Avenue. 
and one year um and you know there's like always going to be some type of like the the always going to be incidents when you have a lot of people some people are drinking yeah. typically nothing major happens it's like you know the the saint patrick's day parade is another one you know you got a lot of people drinking maybe a couple people fighting here and there nothing major one particular year there was an incident where like some women were walking by and like they were harassed or attacked i don't remember exactly but it you know obviously it made it on the news it was a big it was made like a really big deal so right. for the following year i remember um I started going to meetings. Um, I was asked to go to represent the organization that I was a part of. Um, I think it was um, the National Organization of Women, the New York City chapter, um, oh, because they wanted to have some type of um, some type of something with the Puerto Rican Day Parade. I think they were even like thinking of doing like a counter, like a rally against it because of a situation that happened the year before. I don't remember exactly, but I went there and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, why are you trying to demonize? I mean, it was really to the point where they were like, well, but you know, like these men, and it's just like, you don't realize like how racist you are right now because you're trying to demonize men. And you're what you're doing is you're portraying as if like these men of color, like this is how they behave. And like you, you know, the white liberal progressive women like have to go and like protect us or something it's just like really weird but what i'm saying is that it's this mentality that has gained power like they've gained corporate stature and it's that was like just a, like kind of a clip of 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 how like identity politics gets wielded it's like they want to use you um to push an agenda which is divisive um, and so like for, for someone like me that, you know, yes, I was an activist, but you know, um, in that time in like the, in the nineties, um, you know, if you were someone of like Latin, of Latin American descent, um, abortion was not what you, what you thought of when you thought of women's rights, right. You thought of, you know, being able to have access to a good education because of what our, you know, foremothers went through. You thought about, you know, being able to be productive in the workforce, having opportunities yes. because of what our foremothers went through, right? Like, you know, depending on what country you came from, you were only allowed to do a certain type of job depending on your skin color or your ethnicity. In the United States, it's a di it was different. So coming into that, it was like, you know, um, I really was about like female empowerment, but it's funny how that... Um, emphasis on abortion equals female empowerment really took hold. Like I saw that yeah. transition. Um, and like, just kind of speaking to some of the stuff you said earlier, um, it's where, you know, how we look at things are shaped. So when I was growing up, um, obviously women were getting abortions. Um, and I knew women that had abortions and it was something that was just like a very difficult decision it was something they really struggled with safe legal um, and rare yeah um and to to now where it has become a rite of passage to have an abortion and it's just like we're going the wrong way <laughs> in a sense because i think the goal was um, let's make it accessible so it's rare and let's make sure we have advancements and safe birth control. And it's like, well, we have all these advancements, but more and more and more and more women are getting abortions, like to, to a point where it is birth control. Um, and by the way, it's in targeted communities, like 
poor impoverished communities, people of color communities. Um, that's just a fact. Systemic oppression, systemic racism. Well, that into that, and some people even look at it and say, you know, it's a genocide. I mean, in New York State, I think it was in 2017, more black babies were killed than were born. Still today. Still today. Still today. You're, okay. Yep. Yep. But my, my point is just like how these things have been shifted. Like you were saying that slippery slope of like, that's not something that you should take seriously. Like that's just, it's not, it's a clump of cells, right? Like this dehumanizing language. And I think it's kind of where things are oversimplified because it's become a weapon of dividing. Oh, you're on this line of it. Well, then you're a bad person. You're on this line of it. Okay. Then we can, you know, and it's all a type of weird identity politics. How do we get out of it? Is my question. <clears throat> that, that's, <laughs> that's, that is actually the question. <laughs> oh God. That is the question. And my only answer is not going to be pretty because to be honest with you um if we backtrack long enough when w without you know going into a long backstory like i have the entire episode i'm sorry for me that. too it's okay um, no it's fine it's good yeah. um it, it, it's been propagandized there's there's a reason okay let me say it like this there is only one force on the planet that could stop the United States government from its imperialism and from its totalitarian, authoritarian uh, regime that is conquering not just the globe, but now its own people. And that's we the people. Mm -hmm. And that has been constructed through a very easy but effective plan called divide and conquer. So, if we can separate everybody via race, if we can separate everybody via sex, if we can separate all... And we're talking about now, think about this. I'm just using these overarching explanations. But if you implement them into their separate categories, what all of them one together, right? Not just the sex, but the sex versus the race. Mm -hmm. Not just the age, but the sex versus the age versus the rage. Versus the age, not just the sex versus the age versus the list goes on and on and on. It's the separation. It is divide and conquer. So it is an appeal to emotionality, which is a great culture war tactic. Mm -hmm. If I can appeal to you as a 19 year old and say you are specifically unique in your problems in your oppression. instead of saying mm -hmm. you're uniquely specific you're or specifically unique to your being created by god then you have a real real case to be made there instead of saying you're your own individual you're very unique there has never been an olga and there never will be Another one of you whatsoever. And that's a scientific fact, by the way. That's a scientific fact. Your fingerprints, your, um, your, your vocal cords, they have never been created ever. And they never will be replicated ever. You 
are the only person of you that will ever exist. Now, if we twist and pervert that and say you, because of these things that you find uniquely characteristic, or it, maybe it's sexuality, maybe it's race, go down the line. Now you've perverted the exact system that's been created since the beginning of time. And that's very hard to argue with. You can try if you're an atheist, but good luck because I have a long list of that. Now, why am I tying this quote-unquote religious concept into politics? Well, because it's directly tied, right? If you can accept the fact that you are you, yourself, are the only person that's ever been made like you, and that's provably scientifically true, and it's provably scientifically true that no other ever person will be made like you in your DNA, fingerprints, vocal cords, ever, then it dismantles the entire argument of collectivism. Mm-hmm. And it promotes what we in the libertarian liberty, you know, freedom caucus minded people promote saying you are you and nobody else ever has been you. Nobody else ever will be you. Now, if we adopt that concept and we applied it amongst the entire spectrum of people and we could actually implement that into their psyche, into their developmental knowledge and how they process information and how they apply the wisdom after they have not, after they have acknowledged said information. Then you wind up with America, 1776. Mm. That's not acceptable. And we know that. It, it, to, to prove to me how it's acceptable to have America at its base core with all its faults, by the way, mm-hmm. being the groundbreaking country with a le- with a legal standard, a constitutional standard that the world has never seen. And it produced the greatest economy that the world has ever seen. And everything can be t- tied back to economics more so everything is tied back to your individualism which Mm -hmm. is not based on sex it's not based on race it's not based on skin color it's not based on anything other than you as a person and how you can succeed and what are you willing to do to succeed now if we still had that process in place today you would see America at its brightest form. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we don't. Because what we wound up having is a bunch of mind zombie woke progressives starting under Woodrow Wilson mm-hmm. being implemented into this collectivist idea. And it, you know, God forbid me rebuke Woodrow Wilson and his collectivist tax reform and war policies. It all ties back to that. All of it. 
because it starts it started way before that. it started before but isn't it interesting though like as i learn these things and i look you you know you look so far back to the end of the 1800s when you have like the beginning of the progressive era which is not quite what we imagine as progressive today but right. boy it, it did lay the it lit, did lay the groundwork by the way theodore roosevelt like all Ooh. of these like all of these people um when you look that far back to this movement and so, um, and you know, there were struggles even with the beginning of this nation with wanting, you know, the, a large centralized national government versus, you know, a decentralized uh, federalist, you know, state power government, you know, that yep. struggle has always kind of been there. Um, but, you know, if we just look back, you know, a, a little over a hundred years ago, it's really kind of interesting because we really do think of this as something very modern but the groundwork has been laid out That's and i just wonder like what's going on with the 20th was really the 20th century where humans just took a turn to collectivism because you know russia um china like they're not unique it happened here it's it's happening here too to yeah. to to a, quite a degree. I mean, Cuba, you know, Latin America, like all over, like we see all this um, collectivism in, on different in different ways. I mean, the military industrial complex, um, the imperialism that started in the United States in the late 1800s, these are all like forms of collectivism. And as you were saying with Woodrow Wilson and um, with the economics, with, you know, the creation of the IRS and, um, um, you know, you know, and taxes, all of this was kind of like creating this behemoth. So I just wonder, like, was this the inevitable trajectory of that? Yes. Or, or, or is this something that's just inoculated different? I mean, it's, um, no, it, it, it's the same. It's hard to fathom in a way, but what, as you say, like, as I learned this history, I'm like, oh, well, this makes perfect sense why we're here today. Yeah. Makes perfect sense, like why the war economy like has to be what it is, why the inflation is what it is, and all of this other stuff that we're kind of focusing on today is really, um, it's like the it's it's the it's the glasses that are put on our eyes for us to see through, while all of these other machinations are really what's driving everything. Yeah, that that's and, very well said. That's very well said. The answer is the the result of what we're seeing today is the standard. And this yeah. is something that I truly in, in, innately feel that Americans don't realize because we live in this first world country, the greatest economy that the world has ever seen, the greatest military that the earth has ever been beholden to. What we don't understand is that this is still in historical reference, a brand new idea. This idea of self-governance and liberty, this is new. That's the thing that's new. Totalitarianism, the obstruction of uh, uh, any sort of religious freedom or economic freedom, that's the standard. That's been the norm. That's been I mean, the norm. That's, we've always been fighting against it. So like the, the philosophers of the Enlightenment era... And this idea of liberalism, which we 
today we really call that libertarianism, but this yes. was what liberalism was, is the idea that you didn't need a monarchy. That yep. was radical. Yes. Very. I mean, and people were murdered for that idea. Um, and, and, you know, like even before then, the idea of the monarchy not being a hundred percent attached to, um, you know, to, to like the, to the religious organization, right. Whether it's like in the case of the Vatican, that was radical. Um, but liberalism is this really radical idea that a person could, should govern themselves, right. A person should be able to have thoughts and speak for themselves. Um, and a person should have a say in their life. Um, I was having this conversation with someone about hunting culture in the United States and oh, why wow. and why it's so significant and why for a long time um hunters and and you know just gamesmen and women took this so very seriously is because in Europe you were not allowed to hunt if you were a peasant only the nobles were allowed to hunt that's right it was a big deal and if you were a very good boy maybe they would let you go on a hunting trip with them but you were yep. not allowed to hunt. You were not allowed to get like your own food and do that. You had to be permission to do that. So when folks started immigrating here and it was just like, that's why trapping and hunting was such a big deal in the development of this country. Because for the first time, people were able to do this and really be self-sufficient. Um, and I think like as I moved up from the city to the country and kind of like really understanding and appreciating this beautiful culture that is rural America and understanding like, you know, it's not just about, yeah, like being sufficient, self-sufficient. It's understanding that there's a tradition here that doesn't exist. I don't think in any other place on the planet, maybe, I don't know. I could be probably, I'm probably wrong, but I think in most places it doesn't exist like it exists here where this is something that people did because they were not allowed to do that. And it allowed them to be completely self-sufficient. And because of that, we had this idea in our head, you know, our ancestors did in this country. We want to be independent from you. We don't yep. need you. Um, yep. And I, and it's, you know, I talk a lot about self-sufficiency and, you know, learning skills and, you know, trying to learn some homesteading skills because it does change your mindset on how you see everything. When you 100%. are able to be a little bit more sustainable, a little bit more independent from certain systems, whether it's a medical system or a food, you know, not a hundred percent, but when you start kind of inching away from that, it really does change your mindset um, and you start to see what the infringements are. Yeah, you're 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 one thousand percent right. And uh, just just going back because I want to highlight this for some for some of the people that may not know or, or y'all probably do know. But what she's talking about is a feudalistic economic apparatus, right? It's feudalism. And again, as I alluded to earlier, you can always tie everything back to economics when it comes to power. When it comes to authority over other people in a governmental apparatus, you're always going to be able to refer to an economic system. It's all economics. It's all about the power over the money supply. It's always the power of the over the people to, uh, you know, have the ability themselves to provide for themselves, which is economic. Even if it just means I can just plant my own garden 
and grow my own food, a.k.a. during COVID, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. What did she do? She shut down the seeds. You couldn't even grow your own freaking vegetables during the COVID tyranny from Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. It's all an economic apparatus at the end of the day, but it's all tied back to spirituality, but it's all tied back to totalitarianism, which is the... Uh, uh, I had the word in my mind. I lost all of a sudden. It, it's just basically the replacement of mm -hmm. government with some sort of other hierarchy because we as humans are built to worship something. So if you're not going to worship the one true living God, which to me is Jesus, you can reject it. That's fine. But you're going to worship something else. And it's either going to be yourself, some other economic apparatus like feudalism, like Oh, uh, Olga is just talking about just now, or you're going to worship yourself, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're going to worship something. But at the end of the day, if you're not providing and fighting against a totalitarian system, even if you're an atheist, agnostic or anything else, then you're wrong. Because <laughs> what you're doing is you're always going to be fighting for a totalitarian system that is going to eventually at some point, and this is irrefutable, it is going to maintain control, entire control, 100% control over your life and everyone you know. So there is a dividing line. Put the spirituality apart. Put the economic apparatus apart. Both of those are completely tied in, as I've laid out throughout this entire show, and they need to be researched in depth by every single American ever because we have the greatest system still to date, regardless of how many liberties that we are losing by the hour. This is still the greatest economic apparatus and liberty-based principle of government uh, establishment that we've ever known, ever. It needs, to, it needs to be researched. Put all that aside. You're on one of two lines. You're either for individual freedom and their right to make their choices so long as they don't hurt anybody or take their stuff. Or you're for totalitarianism. There is a gray area. But that gray area is completely diminished by the fact that we have a, I will say it like this, we have an completely out of, out of control state department in totalitarian regime that seeks every day to diminish your rights as a human being. And what's funny, and it's not really funny, is that the people that try to claim that what I'm saying is incorrect, they're the leftists that are actually advocating for top-down control over your entire existence and the republicans are happy to ride in the trunk of that car mm -hmm. they're just progressives driving the, the speed, speed limit. limit yep and i think too um and coming out of like the corona fascism i mean we're not out of it it's just it's just you know warped it's shifted um I think there is an accountability that people need to acknowledge in their role in the enslavement of themselves and everyone around them. Cause that's what it comes down to. And one of the things that, you know, 
baseline libertarian ideas is self-ownership. Yep. So we believe in, in the radical idea of complete self-ownership. Yes. Um, everything outside of that is degrees of slavery. So yes. have self-ownership, but maybe not with my health care. Uh, self-ownership, yep. but um, you know, maybe not with my money because all of these taxes are coming out of my money or or whatever. Or maybe have a self-ownership, but um, I have to, you know, have a pharmaceutical product product in my arm in order to keep my job um and all the degree you know all the degrees i think people it's like and again i i always ask this question is it a way that we're wired because like you said authoritarianism and like dictatorship and 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 these top-down um regimes and hierarchies um that that are really detrimental um they've been the norm in history and this is the exception to that and you know we've seen different expressions of it in other countries um but have really and i'll tell you what's the big difference with the united states and everyone else you know um you have the french revolution and, and other places um but that have taken a kind of a, a harder turn with collectivism earlier on the big difference is that in the united states in america we have a second amendment yep and that has slowed down um, this, this, this road that we're on. But we're still on it. And if you think of the thing that's constantly getting attacked, and I mean, again, I will I put on my you know tinfoil crown. I'm all about some of these things. Um, I think there are false flag events. I think there are people who are approached and manipulated pharmaceutically to do things potentially. Um, but the one thing that's constantly getting attacked is our right to self-defense and to bear yes. arms. Um, and anytime anyone wants to have that discussion, they want to label you, oh, well, you're just an alt-right, blah, 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 or you're just an ultra-conservative. And it's just like, no, I grew up in New York City under 100% gun control. I was an EMT and a paramedic. And I can tell you like how many young people um, had bullets in their guts, you know, that were bought yep. on the black market. Um, it does not work. And you also disenfranchised um, all the neighborhoods that needed to have families who were armed so that they can defend themselves from gangs. Um, and they were not allowed to do so. So the crime took over. Um, I grew up in that. Um, but that's the big difference is that we have that. Um, and a lot of us who live in states where we still have um, that, that, you know, that we're, we're still able to, that we have our second amendment. Um, we take it for granted. Um, and in other places, you know, you folks are so far um, away from it. Like I was until I moved here that you don't even understand. It always drives me crazy when the people who want the most, um, you know, gun control, um, are the ones screaming against police brutality and imperialism. And it's like, <laughs> you're literally advocating for only police and only military to have weapons and for everyone else to be defenseless. Yeah. And, and this goes back to what I alluded to earlier. I mean, it's just an absolute onslaught of propaganda and misinformation that's been driven down the throats of young people, AKA Mao's cultural revolution for decades. Yeah. And they believe this and 
the, it, I guess the worst contrast would be how they could absolutely highlight and point out the fact that the government is absolutely corrupt and then say they should be the only one to have guns <laughs> or their assault rifle. That, that doesn't exist, okay? And they don't look at the statistic. They don't look at any factual data. They don't look at any meta-analysis or uh, peer-reviewed uh, journal studies whatsoever, either or. It doesn't matter. They don't look at any of that. They just, and this is one of the biggest drawbacks of social media. I hate yeah. it, but we still need it. And it's still a net Use positive, it. in my opinion. Yeah. But they just read what they want. They view what they want without doing any studies whatsoever. And they're absolutely brainwashed. And they're literally fighting for their own subservience, their own servitude, their own slavery. And they don't even know it. That's why I do believe that we are a reality show for an alien civilization. <laughs> Because it's the only thing that makes sense to me is somehow we're entertainment for some people somewhere. They're like, look what they did this week. Because it just, it doesn't seem to make sense. But I um, I say this, I think every episode that I do is that we have to come to the hard realization that most people are authoritarians. Yeah. And it's just, a, it's a small subset of folks who are not. We're just wired different. Um, and it's been that subset small group of folks that have advocated that have shared their ideas and that have been able to shift enough. So I don't think it needs to be a majority of people. I mean, it'd no. be great, but I think it needs to be a vocal group of, of folks like us that are saying, Hey, and, and, and hopefully some more of those folks just start asking questions. Like you don't have to think exactly the way we think. But at least start ask, asking questions and challenge so that at least your right to be you is respected. Yeah. I, and I'll, 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 uh, I'll leave you with this because I know you're probably way over time here. And, and mm -hmm. I apologize. I've been ranting. No, it's so good. Much. It's good. This is something. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, like Spike Cohen is a personal friend of mine and a mentor. So this is something I've learned personally from him. So I, I say that not for. Uh, you know validity or any other reason other than to give spike the credit okay um reality of power people mm -hmm. reality of power and i'll give you a great example it's a perfect example i've learned all of the, all of this from spike what we're about to lay out in about 60 seconds if everybody is driving down the interstate and the interstate is 70 miles per hour mandated by the government but everybody's doing 80 miles an hour. What can they do? What can they do? There's nothing they can do. What are they going to do? Pull over one or two of you? No. That, that, that's about it. Instead, understand that if less than 5% of the American population just decided to stop doing the tyrannical or stop obeying ex-tyrannical law. They could not enforce it. Hmm. They couldn't enforce it. Less than 5%. If 10% of the American population stood up and said, no, we are not going to do that anymore, the entire federal government would have to redirect course. That is a revolution 
and it does not require a shot being fired whatsoever. That is dissent. That is peaceful dissent. And there are 3,300 or 30, 330 million plus Americans that can easily just stand up and say, I'm just not going to do what you say. I'm just not. Now, you, the less than 1%, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. That includes the entire military. That would include the entire world's military. They could bring in the entire world's military and in less than 3%, they have, what, what could they do? There's nothing they could do. Reality of power. Mm. Now, you have the power. You are the power. So I'm going to plug Spike. <laughs> Y-A-T-P official. You are the power.org. You are the power.net. And Y-A-T-P official on Twitter. I don't know how else to wrap up this episode other than that. Mm-hmm. Because if you can convince enough of Americans to say, I'm just not going to do what you say anymore. Then you can have an entire revolution in this country that brings liberty and individual freedom back to the forefront without any violence. And violence cannot be had. That's Mm -hmm. what the regime wants. Right. So what we need to do is we need to proselytize and we need to convince people that are like-minded and otherwise have the conversations peacefully, treat them with respect and love and care as Jesus would do and recruit them and say, we don't have to stand for this anymore Mm -hmm. because we are in the business of reality of power. What can they do? We are the 99.9%. They are the 0.01%. And that's it. Drop the mic. (laughs) Yeah, what you're describing is basically a form of nullification. And I think what you're saying to what you're saying is, you know, working in coalitions like that really puts you out there because, yeah, we could talk all we want, but we actually have to get out and do stuff. So coalition work is great because you're going to be working with people who may not align with you 100%, but you have this one area where you agree. And that is so powerful because just that opens up conversations. And I think what we have to do is just have more conversations with actual real people in the real world. We're so stuck sometimes with the um, in social media, which I think it overwhelms people. And to what you're saying, it, it makes them feel less empowered it makes because they're so overwhelmed with all of this messaging when you're out in the real world you realize wow we agree on i agree with like a lot of people that i talk to like they're kind of like seeing what i'm seeing um we just have to go out there and connect with them just have to have the conversation there's so many people i talk to on an everyday basis now that being said let me give the precursor right there I have the unique advantage of being able to talk to people, unique people, every day. And most people probably don't have that advantage. They don't get to talk to people they've never met every day. And they don't have my personality, right? I get that. But there is an avenue and a faucet of which you can 
engage people in this conversation. And I guarantee you, because even with my job and my personality, I use one simple subject. I can engage them and ask them about their life. Mm-hmm. And then exactly point two within 20 to 30 seconds. That is because the government sucks. Right. And now I have the conversation. Now I have the conversation. And this is 100% true all of the time. It's yeah. amazing. Everybody can utilize this. There is no aspect of your life in this country in which you cannot relate trouble and absolute interference of government interventionism in your life or your neighbors or your friends or a total strangers in which you cannot relate to them and specifically say that line. That's because the government sucks and then have a complete and honest and transparent and genuine friendly conversation about how we can try to come together and fix this because that's how this is going to get fixed. That is so true. Noel, thank you so much for joining this evening. This was such an amazing conversation. I love all the rants. I think they're great. I appreciate you and what you're doing and your voice and your platform. Um, You were the inspiration for me to be the Latina libertarian. So I just wanted to let you know that. Um, you and Eskimo Libertarian. I was like, yes. we need a Latina Libertarian. Yeah. You guys are, are out there and just getting out there and connecting with people and having these conversations and, and we have to have them. Um, but thank you so much. Thank you, everyone who joined me. Um, please don't forget to like and subscribe. You can follow Cajun Libertarian. What is your Twitter handle? My my Twitter is at the Cajun Libert one. And that's because I'm a tech moron and screwed up the actual original handle, which would have been the Cajun Libertarian. And so mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's the Cajun Libert one. So instead of Liberty, just re- just replace the Y with one. And then everything else is the Cajun Libertarian. Please follow me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Those platforms are blowing up. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on. This was a great conversation. I love every minute of it. Thank you so much. Same, same. Hang on there. Thank you, everyone. Take care.